0: If you're a visitor, we are working through uh, the seven sayings on the cross, and uh, this time we're looking at I first. So if you've got a Bible, could you please turn to John chapter 19? John chapter 19. I'm just reading two verses, uh, verses 28 and 29. So we've got a short reading. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said... To fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. In John chapter 10 verse 18, Jesus said this, he said, no one takes uh, my life from me. Uh, but I lay down, uh, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Uh, those uh, very uh, significant words of Jesus mean that everything that happened to him on that first Good Friday, all of the the physical pain of. Uh, the whippings, all the beatings, the crown of thorns that was thrust into his head, the nails that were driven uh, into his hands and feet, all the emotional stuff that went on about being mocked and spat upon, and all the spiritual pain uh, that he endured uh, when the Father turned his face from him and he took upon himself the sin of the world, all of it was accepted And voluntary endured by Jesus for the glory of his father and for the well-being of you. For you. Well, actually for me as well, but I'll put me in that as well. Nothing that happened, nothing that happened to Jesus that day caught him by surprise. Nothing. Nothing at all. None of it was unforeseen. All of it was anticipated and taken into account. We can see that even in Gethsemane where he just says, well, not my will but yours. So you can see that he's submitting uh, to a long uh, planned out uh, series of events. The picture we see of Jesus in the gospel accounts of his crucifixion is not a person valiantly and yet somewhat bewilderingly being confronted by uh, unforeseen circumstances. No, not at all. This is one of a person who is in complete control of what is going on. And that's true Throughout the entirety of Jesus' walk towards the cross. So, during his arrest, his appearance for what they call questioning, before Jewish authorities, before Pilate, uh, during the brutal treatment given to him by soldiers, being hung uh, while in agony on a cross, Jesus, we need to know this, was not a helpless victim. No, this was the almighty, sovereign Son of God, voluntarily submitting himself to humiliation and suffering, laying down his life of his own accord. The picture that we see of Jesus in the Gospels is, is the, and, the, uh, and the epitome of that is found in these words here which I will endeavour to try and speak on uh, this morning. I thirst, the fifth word uh, from the cross. So the question is, what is all of this about? Well, we're told a little bit because it says uh, it was a cry to fulfil scripture. After this, Jesus, knowing That all now was finished, said to fulfil scripture, I thirst. The picture again is one of Jesus in complete command of the situation, consciously fulfilling everything that was set out by the Father. The agenda was the Father's, the plan was the Father's. He was following it. So he was able to we're able to comment on that here. And John's reference uh, to the fact that Jesus uh, all now was completed just recalls that prayer. Do you remember him praying uh, before he goes to the cross? Uh, He says in John chapter 17 verse 4, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. I've done it. And he says on the cross, doesn't he, which we'll come to a bit later, I have finished. The work has been uh, completed. I've fulfilled everything that was set down for me to fulfill. I've done it. I've done it. I think that must be an incredible sense. I know of the agony that was going on the cross. But I don't know whether you're like me sometimes, but sometimes major things uh, get make me feel... Uh, Quite exhilarated. So, there are things like I do not like cutting the lawn, do not like it because I just get bored. You sort of do that business, don't you? you? Turn back again and you go like that. But actually, when I put the lawnmower in the garage, there is a sense of yes, but then it seems to grow again, doesn't it? And, you th- and then there are things that I find it very difficult to live with. So, at the moment, I'm painting the kitchen. So and I've done, and I don't know whether you're like me, but I try and grab a bit here and there, and I try a little bit here and that sort of stuff. So the utility's got two coats of paint on, but the the, the skirting board hasn't. The the kitchen has got one coat of paint on. Need another one. That hasn't been done. And I'm and I I keep going to Kelly. What am I going to do this? What am I going to do this? What am I going to do? And she goes, calm down, Nigel. It's all right. It's, sorry, it, will, it will get done. I just want to get it done. I want to get done. Way, that sort of stuff. There is a sense, isn't it? There is an inbuilt sense in us that we are built to complete a work. It's something that comes with this. Now, imagine from a higher perspective than that, that Jesus can say, Scripture's been fulfilled. It is done. It is completed. I have done it. Can you imagine, you know, I'm cutting the lawn and I'm going, yay! Yeah. Can you imagine the intense feeling that he's feeling on the cross when he's saying, it's finished here. It's finished. I've done it. I've done everything that Scripture fulfilled. Isn't that a challenge for you and I? Really? Isn't it good to look back and say, hey, what if this stuff in here have I done? Hey, we've got a work to do, haven't we? We've got a work to do. We've still got to do. So actually, you and I, we're incomplete. We've got a work to do. We've got to complete what it says in Scripture. So I need to get back onto track here. The work has been completed. His suffering was coming to an end, so he said, I thirst. And the whole scene is one of a total devotion and yet commitment to the Father's program. All is finished. And here's the interesting thing. It's left him dry and thirsty. The consequences of the cross have left those words coming out of his lips. Now you think about this. This is the Son of God. This is not me in Ibiza longing for a San Miguel because it's thirty degrees. Don't ever think of it in those terms. We mustn't just think of it in terms of well, okay, I, you know, I know what it's like to feel. No, this is a thirst because the redeeming work has been finished, and He is crying out, "It is finished." Therefore, I thirst. It has taken everything out of him, and he cries out, "I thirst." It is a cry of agony. It's another picture, uh, uh, one of the of very intense physical suffering and agony. It, we are approaching the ninth hour. We are approaching three o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus has been hanging on a cross for six hours there would have been loss of blood. Considerable loss of blood. It is exhausting to be hung there. Every few minutes pushing down on his feet to relieve the pain in his chest and cavity. Just pushing down on nails to lift himself up then swapping that round, thinking, I can't bear the agony on those any longer, so I will hang from here. It is exhausting physically. His nervous tension would have been to the limit. His exposure to the heat of the day. We're not talking about a night time crucifixion. We're talking a, a, a crucifixion that would have been in the heat of the day, although we know it became night. So there's a raging thirst. And he cries, I thirst. I don't believe it was pl- polite and quiet. It's not Stephen, if you're just popping out for a while. Could one get one, a cup of glass of water for one? So I don't believe it was anything like this, no. This actually was a cry of of agony. He really is thirsty. I don't believe it was polite. And Jesus' thirst while hanging on the cross in our place brings to us the reality and the intensity of what was going on on the cross. His thirst uh, consummated his physical suffering And thus enabled Jesus to know that all was completed. And so in order to fulfill scripture, he cries out, I thirst. Asking for and then receiving a drink of wine vinegar from a sponge held up to his mouth on a stalk of hyssop. At this point, I want to go into scripture and do something about that. I can't. Do you not want to climb up there? <laughs> when I looked at this, you think, soldiers, merciless Roman soldiers would just give him this. And and you think, I want to go do something. Something within me looks at that and says, if I could, and yet I can't. Because we'll find out that that actually was also part... Of Scripture, which we'll come back to, but doesn't does it make you want to go back there and sort that out? A Roman soldier or no, it does me. The problem with this is that there's different pictures in Matthew and Mark. And Phil Harmon, if you're if Mrs. Har, if uh, if Mrs. Harmon, you're listening to this because Phil's mom occasionally listens to my sermons. Uh, so if you 're listening to this, this is one just so that your son will sleep well at night and we 'll just collect the theology there then we 'll move on so this is a short paragraph uh, mrs Harmon and then we 'll move on okay but this is just for you and for the peace of your son the, this so what we 've got is that we 've got some uh, uh, we 've got this recorded in John we have it recorded in matthew twenty seven thirty four and mark fifteen twenty three where at the beginning of the crucifixion, Jesus is offered a drink of, of uh, a wine mixed with myrrh, a drug, if you like, to help him with the pain of crucifixion. And at that point, if you remember, uh, Jesus refuses to drink, desiring uh, to face his hour uh, that he needs to face with a very, very sound mind, and now he's approaching the moment of death. So this is where we need to put the Gospels together to put the whole story um, to, together. Uh, so we're now approaching the moment of death and Jesus accepts uh, the drink of wine, vinegar to meet his own uh, physical uh, needs. It's to moisten his mouth uh, because in a minute what he's going to do is cry out with a loud voice. Now You remember he's been on there for six hours. He's taken Nothing. We need to, at one point he's refused it now he's accomplished all that he needs to accomplish he needs to do uh, a couple more things and uh, one more thing and then his spirit will leave him and uh, what is going to happen is that he's going to cry out with a loud voice it is finished he needs to cry out with a loud voice but he's been on a cross for hours So he's he's exhausted, he's tired, his mouth is dry. So here we find Scripture being fulfilled again because what he does is he takes the drink because he just needs a little bit of moisture in his mouth because what he's going to do is cry out in a minute in a loud voice. He just needs that little bit to be able to do that and cry out, it is finished. So that's the order of things. But we can see also that Jesus is fulfilling uh, uh, prophecy here. Uh, The particular text that Jesus is fulfilling is not mentioned, uh, but there are two options. I'm going to give you option one and option two. What you can do then is that you can go home, you can ring each other and argue over the texts. Uh, My phone will be off, but you can argue, okay? So here they are, And and I might as well nail it for this. I think it's a combination of the two anyway. So there you go. Nailed it. That means I'm out of a job tomorrow. So here's the first one. Psalm 22, verse 15. My strength is dried up like a a pot sherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. That's the prophetic, one of the prophetic voices. And then here's the other one. Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me poison for food and gave me sour wine for vinegar to drink. Well, I don't know which Jesus has in mind. I suspect both of them. (laughs) I do. Uh, But the picture is one here of Jesus, even in the midst of intense agony. He's actually still fulfilling Scripture. He's obeying uh, the prophetic words of his Father. Extraordinary in these very last moments. And this actually speaks very interestingly of Jesus' commitment to, to, to Scripture. And uh, so, even in his agony, he is fulfilling Scripture. And I think sometimes we, we, what we would like to do is fulfil Scripture without the agony. That's the way that we would like it. I'd like to be a a, a swinging Christian, and I, then I can fulfil all of this. Yeah, I'm going to go fill. on am I'm going to fulfil all of this all of this Scripture with a swinging life. It's going to be marvelous. And I think sometimes we forget that is not the way that Scripture tells us to be. Because Jesus gives us an idea of what it means to fulfill Scripture. And he describes it like this. To fulfill Scripture to all that it will take is like being on a cross in the agony of dying and choosing what I will now believe. We have to make a choice. Well, what is most important to me is Scripture. Sometimes what we say is, hey, I, you know, I can be a Scripture person, but then there's this and that. I'm not sure about that because you know, that, that will upset Anne. And then I'm not sure about that Scripture there because that will upset Phil. And and that sort of stuff. And actually what we do is we want to do Scripture in the nice context. No, Scripture is fulfilled and therefore Jesus most glorified when we fulfill it in the context of laying down our life on a cross. That's what it means, to take up his cross and follow him. We take up the cross, we fulfill Scripture, but actually it's in the context of cross experiences. Don't let anybody tell you that fulfilling Scripture is, hey, this is a good ride. It isn't. Every time you fulfill Scripture, folks, it's agony. Here he is. He's fulfilling Scripture in agony. Now we're returning back to the hyssop thing. I find this really interesting because you just think that this is a sideshow. The hyssop thing and the sour wine thing, No. This actually is outstanding fulfillment, fulfillment of Scripture. Let me try and see see what's going on on the cross here. Can you see it? it is, that's why people say this is the greatest event in history. And it is. You know, it isn't the Olympics in 2000. This is. Here's another reason why. Hyssop, a long reed with a sort of bushy end, I don't know, that they used... Um, on occasions to do all sorts of different things. We won't go into all that. But it is very famous to the Jews. As soon as you say, hyssop, the Jews, the Jews will go, hyssop. It's like me, you know, as soon as, as, soon as uh, Rupert says, Rupert's over here the other, this morning talking, and he said, Nigel. And my ears went, boom. And I was in. And uh, you know, so it's, it's like it's, it was. If you go, you can try this. You can walk down the street in Ru- in in Roochley? where am I? In Wrexham, and you can walk down the street, and you can always find out whether there's a Jew there by crying out hyssop. Now, I'm only joking, but <laughs> you know, just try it. Hyssop, okay, that's a Jew. Okay, the reason for this is that. It takes them immediately back to Exodus chapter 12. You remember the angel of death was going to pass over Israel and God said to the, to the people of Israel, you take, and then he named what they should do. He said, you take a hyssop and take the blood and sprinkle it on the doorposts of your lintel. Do you remember that? Any time the hyssop appears to a Jewish mind, it reminds them of a great sacrifice and the Passover lamb. And how fitting it is here that the hyssop is raised up to Jesus with the sour wine upon it for him to drink. What is this poor, unknowing Roman soldier doing He's been governed by the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't know it. And he raises this hyssop up to his lips for him to drink. And what he's doing is saying, this is the greatest sacrifice ever to exist. It's an extraordinary moment. And you, and so you don't say, and, full, and scripture's fulfilled. yes. And you think, what is heaven doing? You know, and the Romans—they think they are so mighty. Nah. (laughs) This Roman soldier hasn't got a clue. He's fulfilling Scripture. He's saying, "This is the Passover Lamb," and he's pointing to it. He's got it up on a stick. Here is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. What an extraordinary moment. But there's also a spiritual thirst. Uh, In spite of the reality and the intensity and the significance of Jesus' physical world, I am actually convinced there's something more deeper going on here. Underlying his physical thirst is another kind of thirst. Jesus is experiencing something deeper and more profound. On the cross, I believe it is a spiritual thirst. The evidence that leads me to this conviction uh, is first from the Greek. Now, Keith Anthony, I know that I was rubbish at grief, so you don't have to remind me afterwards or tell my people that, okay? You just nod with admiration that I can do this. I'll explain who Keith Anthony is anyway, but he knows me better than any of you know me here. So I'm just buttering him up because he might just tell you the truth <laughs> afterwards, okay? Uh, I've got a five. It's going to cost me more than a fiver, isn't it? Anyway, the Greek, word, uh, the Greek word for thirst is quite simple. Thirsty or very thirsty. It is literally that. But the word that Jesus used is here on, on, the, uh, on the cross, he, the exact words are used five times in the Gospels. Let's try and run through some of them. And each one of them actually refers to a spiritual first. Three of them occur in John 4, 13 and 15. Do you remember that? With the, the woman at the well and Jesus offers her something to drink. He says, he says this, whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become a spring of water welling in, up in him to eternal life. Do you remember that? Three times. Three times he's saying this, it's a spiritual thirst. John 6 verse 35, do you remember this? I'm the bread of life. He that comes to me will never go hungry. hungry. He who believes in me will never thirst. Spiritual thirst. Famous one, John uh, 37 and 38, Jesus declared, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from him. And and John uh, tells us what Jesus meant by adding this. He said, by this, Jesus meant the Spirit. By what what he meant, the Spirit, which you which, uh, uh, you will later to receive. So let's put the evidence together and we can see that this thirst that Jesus was speaking about is actually a spiritual craving for God that has gone. So here he is, he's longing for the deep intimacy of his Father. And he's saying, I thirst for my Father. I thirst for my father. I, I thirst to, to hear his voice, to, to feel his touch, to, to know that intimacy of, of walking with him. We know that because he'd cried out just before that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now he's saying, the, that is have made me so thirsty. It's... It's the withdrawal of his father that he (laughs) thirsts for. His father to him on the cross was absent. So I'm thirsting after something that I had, but is now gone. My father. Why is he doing this? We will come back to this. So I now need you to listen to this With every atom that you can muster up right now. Why is he doing this? He is thirsting so that you will never thirst. So that you will never experience dryness. So that you would never ever know the experience of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is experiencing this. What is the theological explanation of this? It is the theological explanation of substitution. He has substituted himself for you. So here it is. In substitution, he's saying, I will thirst so that you never have to thirst. You never have to. We're going to come back to that. Uh, in a little while. But I want to show you first how that works out in in terms of being a Christian, or even if you were not a Christian. Because suddenly, we come into the the gospel, the the acts of the apostles, and we realize that actually there is a thirst that comes when you are not a Christian. (laughs) So I don't know whether you are or are you not a Christian this morning, but the theme is picked up straight away by the apostles, Where the apostles say this, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Here it is, that actually the epitome of being uh, a Christian is that you won't have to thirst. The epitome of not being a Christian is that actually something in there is thirsting for something. And you're trying to find it. You may try and find it somewhere else, try and satisfy your thirst over here or over there, but actually, ultimately, that thirst will never be quenched. It cannot be, because the only thirst that that is ever going to find you satisfaction is Jesus. That is why it says here that if you repent, 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 that's right, refreshing will come from the Lord. The words here are blotted out or wipes away. God wipes away. (laughs) It's lovely, isn't it? All these terminologies all coming in together. Wipes away the sins of the people, of those who repent and turn to Christ. It is wonderful. The reason God fulfilled what the prophets spoke about uh, in the suffering of Jesus was so that the suffering of Jesus would triumph over all guilt. And guilt does not equal refreshing, does it? It just doesn't. The prophet said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. And by his stripes we are healed. So if you repent this morning and turn to this crucified but also risen Christ, Jesus, all your sins will be wiped away. They will be refreshed. You will be personally refreshed. What a beautiful word. What happens when you go to heaven? When you go to heaven, the Bible tells us that every tear will be wiped away. What is the other word for that? Refreshed. The ultimate refreshing is in heaven where every tear is in. What does that mean? It means that, you, that you, your soul is satisfied. It's quenched. So why, why refreshed? It's here, isn't it? It's what goes on in here. And I don't know whether you, what you think uh, your position is in Christ today, but I just want to say this to you. Your thirst can only be re- quenched by him. <laughs> it can only be him. He's the only one that can satisfy, as the, as the song says, your deepest longing. <coughs> so let me just try and explain how we overcome this, and then we'll move on. To receive our refreshing, we need to re- recognize there's a great God who created all things and all people for his glory to display the greatness and beauty of the power of who is who he is. That's the first part in receiving your, your refreshing from the Lord. You recognize there's a great God that I was created to worship him. And that's why every person exists. The reason for our be- being. This is the meaning of human life, to reflect back the person in whom we were created for. We are people who reflect back Him. We are made in His image. We are made so that we can worship Him. It's His character. And by following Him, we trust Him. We thank Him. We obey Him. But actually, the truth is that you and I have failed to do this. We just failed at it. We've fallen short of living for Him. We've exchanged it for other values. We can be refreshed elsewhere. We can find refreshment. And that's what we tell each other. We tell our mates. We Facebook it. We Twitter it. We do whatever it is we need to do to do it. And we actually say, hey, you can be fulfilled by this. Try this. The Bible says that is we've fallen short. We've tried. We've exchanged our values. And actually, in doing that, we've d- dismissed him. And this is what the Bible actually calls sin. And therefore, we are guilty. And therefore, we thirst. And therefore, we will always long for something unless we settle this. Settle it. You'll always long for something. You just get older longing. Don't do that. Do it now. <laughs> Don't just get an old person longing. Do it now. And the consequence of this fact that we are guilty means that we are actually condemned by a just God to eternal punishment for the guilt that is ours for dishonoring this God. But the love of God is bigger than that. And moved him to send his son for you. He was moved on your behalf. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Sometimes we think of, I was just moved. I watched a film, and I was moved. No, you're mo- Because of God's love for you, the son moved from heaven to earth. That's movement. It wasn't a sort of, that was a moment no this was huge he was moved by you and because of love for you (laughs) into the world to provide you refreshing and when jesus died for you he became your ransom he became your substitute which we've talked to you He became the person who would be punished on your behalf. When we turn to Jesus and away from sin, no guilt because your sin has been dealt with by Jesus. You are forgiven. You receive unconditional love. You get mercy in its abundance. You are clothed with Jesus' righteousness, not your own. You have eternal life and that actually is what the Bible calls refreshing. That is refreshing. But is that it? No. Oh. Hey. Let's reflect back. On the cross. On the cross. Jesus cries out, I thirst. So that you do not have to thirst. It's an act of su- substitution. His cries for the felt presence of his father according to john's gospel this universal uh, thirst can only be quenched by the holy spirit the presence of jesus is here with us now therefore there is also refreshment to be had from the christian now Refreshment comes, firstly, when we remind ourselves what Jesus has done for us. If you just go for the Holy Spirit, just feel a little bit of buzzy stuff, it will last for a moment. The two have to come in, in line with one another. We all need to be prayed for to be filled with the Spirit, but the, actually the essence of us moving on is to do with an understanding of what Jesus has done and promised us. So you have to have them both. You have to love what he's done and be open to the Holy Spirit. But I want to ask you some questions. Do you sense that your affection for Jesus has diminished? Do you feel that your appetite for Scripture has gone? Does in here feel dry? Does God seem distant? If so, you're not alone. You're not alone. In fact, I would like to suggest that even the greats have felt exactly this. But actually, I'd also like to suggest to you that this is serious. It is very serious for you. I want to suggest that you should not ignore it. And that actually it won't go away in time. The psalmist describes these feelings as being like in a desert or in the wilderness or the wastelands. And I want to ask you, is that a description of you? So I'm going to see how we can overcome this in conclusion. Because I want you to know this, there is a way out for you. Uh, tucked away in an often neglected letter in Jude, uh, it says this: "But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, and praying with the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life." So I want to put a base on that first before we do the the uji bits. Okay. Here's the base. Here's the base. Firstly, what does the Apostle tell Jude? Keep yourselves in the love of God. let Let me ask you a real question. Are you worshipping? Did you hear that testimony this morning? It is a key. If you are not worshipping, you are going to struggle. You're going to be dry. Are there times in your life where you are worshipping? If not, turn up the CD player for a while. Secondly, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Where's the Word of God? Where is your prayer life right now? Are you reading and are you praying? Well, it's a bit cold to do. You're asking me to do some things. I'm telling you now, these are the foundational things to the things. Because actually, if you don't put these in place when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we'll be back here again. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What does that mean? It means, you know, sometimes we just have to be those people that are, that are looking forward to the return of Christ. It means not living in the moment, but living for the future. We're not momentary people, we are future people. We are people that are eternal. And that's what, the, what it does. But the theme is, I'm thirsty or I thirst. But what I would believe God is, what I believe what God would want to impress is that when you drink water, your thirst is not quenched forever. So I suspect that if, that if I drink this now, I don't need to drink anything for the rest of my life ever again. Wonderful. won't ever go to the loo again. (laughs) Done it. All's done. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Magnificent. Do you know what that means? If that's you, it means that you're saying, I am a self-sufficient saint. I can cope with that for the rest of my life. In the word of the prophet Nigel, rubbish, absolute rubbish, you cannot, but actually that's how some people do it. Well, I drank once, drank once. The analogy in the Bible is streams of living, water, and i don't think I don't think any of you will go home today and then say. Tea, love? No. Had one three weeks last Wednesday. <laughs> Small glass of red? No. Had one of those when I was 18. It sufficed. I had more then, but that was okay. If I, if I said to Barry, because I know what Barry's like, because he'll never sit on the front row again, Barry, Barry, would you, you and I, you know, pint? And Barry goes, No. I had my first pint when I was about 16. It was magnificent. My mum and dad did not know I was there, but there I was. I drank it. Never need another one again. Men, liars. Can't keep you out there. Come on. And yet, that is exactly the way that we, we have become self sufficient. There's a spring in you, and the spring satisfies a thirst not by removing the need you have for water (laughs) at all, but actually we should return there again and again and again. The Bible just keeps saying, drink, all through John's Gospel. Jesus says, I thirst, I need to drink. What makes me more special than him? What makes me like that? Nothing. By this, Jesus meant the Spirit. What does this mean? How? What does what does the the Spirit do? It brings the presence of the Father. That's exactly what the Spirit does. Spirit comes and goes. Hey, the presence of God's here. Yeah, that's right. What does that? How does that satisfy you? It fulfills that sense of wow. It's just it's the thirst is gone. Let me read you some some psalmist, and then what something the psalmist said. You know these. Oh God. You are my God, earnestly I seek you My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you As in a dry and weary land where there is no water Yeah? I don't believe that when the psalmist wrote that That was the psalmist's only experience He just knew where he had to go Psalm thirty-six, verse eight: They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from your river of delights. That's good. There's a delight, eh? No more miserable Christian, eh? That sort of stuff. It's true, isn't it? How, what is a Christian? Are oh, the most miserable people on earth? Come on, no. It's not what it says. No, we'll be filled with we'll be happy people. Psalm forty-six, verse four. There is a river whose streams what? Make glad. <laughs> Come on. The city of God. You know, it's quite funny. I, I, I I'm not one of these people that when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they go, ha 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 ha. But sometimes I would really like it because what I want to do is go, Psalm 46 is mine. <laughs> Because it's that's what the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you are made glad, you miserable bunch. That's the <laughs> best of it. It is that way. We ought to be bounding out, aren't we, toward the car, going, yeah, come on. We're going, oh, no, going no, no. Now, what is that? It's the presence of the Father. What is missing? The Holy Spirit that brings us the presence of the Father and we are made glad. It's That's it. So, Ephesians 5 verse 9, remember this. Do not get drunk on wine. No, but be filled with the Spirit. I know this is an old analogy. But you know, we, Claire and I, once went down to an Italian restaurant that has now gone in Wrexham. And we were placed downstairs. Because upstairs, there were a load of middle... There were a load of women that were not with men. (laughs) So we're having an intimate meal. Well, women out. Women unchained. You should, I mean, I have to say this, and I do mean it. I was terrified because I kept thinking, they're going to come down in a minute. And it was fearsome, but it was absolutely raucous up there. And actually, one side of me went, "I just want to peep," but you know, <laughs> but I, did, I well, We paid the bill, and I ran. And it's true, isn't it? Because you know, you, you just see some incredible things when people are drunk, and then you see these sound-minded Christians that sort of, "We are sound-minded Christians." What is that? No, not ever. No, It's not what the Bible says. No, we should be fun, loving, raucous because we're in the presence of our Father. What is this sober-minded stuff? How can you be sober-minded when it says, do not be filled with the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit? How can you be sober-minded? You can't be. You've got to be spiritually legless, haven't you? What is that? It is puppycock on iTunes. It is. It should be the most legless bunch on the face of this earth. Then that was how I was. No, Nigel, you need to be sober-minded with these things. And you know, what? No, no, no. No, 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 no. Let me just give you a description, to and then I'm going to pray. Here's the description. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something that comes out. You listen to this. These are, these are real verses from the real Bible, okay? Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, in order that the power of the Holy Spirit might abound in hope. Okay? Uh, abounding what does abounding look like I'm I am full I'm not going to do it but it's sort of we've, we've got to go like this do you remember those days let's play horses come on what are we doing abounding the Holy Spirit comes on and we become an abounding people abounding full of hope my goodness it's is funny, isn't it? Well, you probably think it's terrible, but there you go. Right, but it's, actually it's all there in the Bible, isn't it? Abounding people. <laughs> Fantastic. Romans 5, verse 5. Hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been what, poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. What's the key word? Poured out. I just feel a little drip from the Lord. No! No, not ever. Poured out. It is poured out. You know, droplets from heaven. I mean, I've been in prayer meeting in strict Baptist prayer. Droplets from heaven. No! Poured out. Love. Poured out. What happens when you poured out? Well, flipping heck, you do know that you've done it. If Using Barry, never sit on the front. Row. If, I, if, I, if I got this and it was full... And I, do you think that Barry would know that? No, he's going, did somebody somewhere drop water on me? What was that? He was sort of like, no, he's going to me. What the heck did you do that for? You just chucked that whole bucket load all over me. Wallop. It's, it's just like that. And that's, that's it. When you say the Holy Spirit comes to love poured out. It's not a droplet. It's, oh, boy, I what? <laughs> Romans. Uh, we haven't got time to do some of these. But here's another one. Holy Spirit comes upon us. Here it is. Romans fifteen thirteen. 13. Joy. Joy. Aye? I won't do joy because I've done abounding and I've done. I'm not going to do joy. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> well, you just. It should be a laugh, shouldn't it? Come on. It really should. What sort of joy? <laughs> no, no, it's not that. It isn't, is it? Come on, it's not that, is it? We ought to be absolutely dead on our feet, and we ought to be. It ought to hurt. Really? We ought to go back from church thinking, oh, I can't go there again. It's killing my heart. <laughs> and what is it? You know, we don't raise the beat up hardly enough, do we? It's not pumping. Why is that? Because we need the Holy Spirit brings the Father's presence. We get joy. The heart's going. And then we're visiting Peter in the Mila. But that doesn't matter. So hope, love, joy, they all come. And if you think about it, that's what the fruit of the Spirit says those are all descriptions of the fruit of the spirit and so actually it's there that's the fruit that comes it's just mad oh dear i just think it's so funny what does all that mean your thirst is satisfied <laughs> it just is it just and how do you how do you get joy and because he thirsted he said i will lose hope i will not have joy i will not have abundance of love what i will have that so that you can have it that's the thing So, okay let's pray